Yo, 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 Thought Warriors. What is up? Her learning is on. It is I, Van Lathan Jr. And it's me, Rachel Lynn Lindsay. All right. Uh, we got Royston 5'9 coming on later to talk about hip hop and responsibility. Mm-hmm. Grammy nominated, mm-hmm. like a number one albums. Uh, w- literally one of the best rappers of all time. Donnie, you from Detroit? Jump in. When I say literally one Donnie's of the best rappers here. of all time, Donnie's, Donnie's not here. Yeah, Donnie's off the call right now. He's doing something else. Uh, like you cannot find very many rappers who are just gonna out rap Royce. It's facts. Okay, what y'all say? It's facts. Literally one of the best of all time. Rachel, do you like lyrical? Do you get into lyrical? I like lyrical. Okay. I, I, I'm more. I'm more into lyrical rap. I think you know. Obviously, I'm not as well versed as you, but I think I first. He first came on my radar in one of the ciphers. Oh yeah, that's when I first. Gosh, I used to live for the cipher. I used to love. Like those, used to do, like I used to love that. But 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 honestly, because I wasn't as into, like it wasn't on my radar. So I would live for the ciphers because it would introduce me to so many different rappers from all over. So for me, it was very educational because I was like, "Ooh, I really like that." Let me go look up this rapper. So many it introduced me to, and Royce being one of them. The ciphers were so dope. You know, it was like, oh, yeah, we coming to you live from L.A. It's the fucking West Coast Cypher DJ head on the ones and twos. Kendrick Lamar, show him what you got. Yo, it's it's Kendrick Lamar. Is that how Kendrick raps? Or it was like an opportunity, like Kendrick did a couple before, but then when he, you know, was TDE, he did the TDE cipher and he was introducing us to TDE. I don't know. It was just, I used to love it. Anyways, yes, yeah, I, I'm, in, I'm, I'm more uh, into lyrical. I auditioned for Royce for my song, uh, Stop Doing Drugs, that I have <clears throat> dropping. And Royce signed me to a single deal. I know a lot of people. <laughs> Rachel, here's the thing. You know, th- the reality is, the interview's coming up later. Rachel, the reality is, what is the reality? You, you hating is not going to help me achieve my dreams. It's like, not hating. You wanna... It's honest. I want you. I want you. I am your biggest fan. I am always rooting for you. But it's my responsibility. And we talk about responsibility later in the in the conversation with uh, Royce. Yeah. It's my responsibility to not have you embarrass yourself. Wow. What kind of friend would I be? That's tough. That's tough. That's tough. Nobody will sign me for rap. Top, who I love, won't sign me. Sway, who I was on the phone with Sway for what, like an hour, hour and a half a couple of days ago. Sway, it never once in this conversation, Sway. Everybody go tag Sway. If you're listening to this right now, all the Thought Warriors, go tag Sway and ask Sway, why won't he sign me? Why won't he sign me? All of these people, they won't sign me. They won't let me rap. They you know they're trying to keep Don't me out. Don't tag Sway, y'all. Just DM Van and tell Van why Sway won't sign him. Why he won't sign you? Yo, bust this. Van coming straight off the top of the dome, nigga. Coming with the motherfucking E.T. alien phone home, nigga. See, I'm telling <laughs> you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I can do that. I'm an alien. I'm a rap alien. E.T. phone home. That's Let shit it that go. Y'all with the finger. Y'all with the this. finger. With the finger. With the finger. I'll point the finger at you and your whole whack motherfucking crew. Boom, oh. See what I'm saying? Ah, what the if fuck? If I can predict what you're, what you're going to say, it's not good. That's not true. You I knew you that. were going to say crew. 
You didn't know that. Yes, I did. <laughs> You're looking for new ways to hate. That's not a rule. It's not a rule in rap that if you can't, if you can predict what somebody's going to say, then it's not <laughs> ill. That's not a rule. You just made that rule up. I did. That's not a rule. <laughs> what, what you do? What you doing this weekend? I'm going to Baton Rouge. Oh. You're all stopping ground. Where should I go? Actually, I don't know how, if I'm going to have that much time. But I'm going what to Baton Rouge, going to the LSU game. Justin's birthday week. So oh. a group of people. Just shout out to Justin Sylvester. He celebrated a birthday this week. You know, he's from Bow Bridge. Yeah. But um, spent a lot of time in Baton Rouge, LSU. Bro, so we're going to go bro, down there for a game. Bro Bridge, not Bow oh, Bridge. I usually say bo- Broken Bridge. So I was trying to say it the correct way. Bro. Bro Bridge. Yeah. Excuse me. So we're going down there, group of friends, celebrate him. Nice. Go to the game, tailgate, nice. all the things. What's it called? The Swamp? Gator Alley? No, oops, not a Gators, Are Tigers. You Tiger Alley. Me? I meant Tiger wait, Alley. Sorry. Wait, wait a second. Tiger what? Alley. Oh my gosh. I, it's I, not I, called I Tiger Alley, by the way. That's <laughs> not what it's called. It's called Death. Valley. Death Valley. That's what it's called. It's not in any way called Tiger Alley and it's not the fucking swamp. Uh, that's in Gainesville. So that's why I got confused. See, I said swamp, then I thought gators. Then no, okay. you thought you thought it's because of Brian went to Florida. You're doing yeah. this on purpose. You know damn well yeah. it's not the swamp in Baton Rouge. I don't Tiger Alley. It's not Tiger Alley. <laughs> it's Death Valley is where we play Tiger Stadium. 102,000 people. There won't be 102,000 people there. There won't be 102,000 people there Saturday. I can't wait. I've only been to an LSU tailgate. Sweet. So I've never been inside. So I'm very excited to go. Best game day environment known to nah. man. You ain't yeah. never been to a Longhorn game. Oh, nigga, get the fuck out of here. Like, um, like, no, I will not. Ain't, ain't nobody in life ever compared the Texas tailgate to the LSU tailgate. And I have been to a Longhorn game. They're not different. One is superior. They're like there's they're, they're, it's, they're not different. Depends your preference. One is better. Okay. When did you go to a Texas one? What game? Uh, two thousand. No, no, not two thousand. Nineteen ninety nine. Ricky Williams was playing for Texas. It's a problem. When I went, Ricky Williams was playing for Texas when I was. It's there. progressed. Nineteen ninety nine. Nineteen ninety eight. It's progressed. No, he was there in ninety nine. It was it's Texas progressed. Oklahoma State or something like that. Like Ricky Williams was playing. Like it, but ninety nine, ninety eight. What was it? it Might have been ninety eight. That's 99. But uh, anyway, it was his Heisman season. So whenever that was, like, I saw him just run through it's people. It's progressed. It ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I, but look, look, hey, you know what? This is me. I, I don't need to be incredulous about that. You went to Texas. You feel like yours is better. I went to LSU. I feel like uh, mine is better. Ours is demonstrably better. No one even ever brings up Texas when they're talking about tailgating and the best environments. It's not even a thing. Uh, but look, I, 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 hey, hey, Rach, hey, I'm not like you. I, I'm supportive of you. So yeah, Texas, yeah, baby, Longhorns, horns up. What are, what are you doing this weekend? Nothing. Spider Man, the video game. Oh, I was it. like, a new movie's coming out. No, Spider Man, the video game. Uh, Spider Man, the video game's coming out. Spider Man, the video game's not coming out. It's already out. I'm, I'm through it. I'm playing right now is Mary Jane Watson. Uh, running through tasing people from behind in the game. Play the game every night. Uh, it's very fun. Um, and LSU is ha- basically has a game against. Uh, it went over and disrespect our opponents, but it's not. It's very. We're gonna win by a lot. Okay, it's Georgia State. 
Uh, yeah. And so I spend that time watching the other games. You know, it's the week before rivalry week in college football, so it's not going to be right. a whole lot going on. So I play a lot of Spider-Man. And I'm going to hang out and chill and get my body back workout-wise. You know, I've been traveling a lot, so I'm, this week I prioritize sleep and, and working out. You know what I'm Very saying? Very good. Good for you. Hell, hell yeah. You know what I'm saying? Hell yeah. Uh, but yeah, you'll got, you'll have a lot of fun. So this, if you have time, I once had a panic attack in Brobridge. If you if you have time, Sorry. you want to go to Tony Seafood on Plank. It's very far from the stadium. Uh, other side of town. It's not that far. It's Baton Rouge. Uh, Tony Seafood on Plank. You want to visit my mother? I'm going to try. No, that's it. You're not going to do it. You know what's crazy? Is when I was in Dallas, I made every, every... You were there, you were there for a I, long time. A minute. I made every, every attempt to visit Rachel's parents and it couldn't happen. They almost was like they didn't want to hello, that's not, say hello Now you to know me. that's not true. That's not Rachel, true. Rachel, did I not say, hey, I'm here? I, they were I, I would sick. like to visit. See? See that? That sounds like an excuse. Now, Rachel's going to my hometown. I say, hey, Rachel, why don't you say hello to my mom? And what do I get back? Crickets. Fair. Here's the problem. I was supposed to land in Baton Rouge at 12. So I was going to have all of Friday. I have to go to a doctor's appointment, so I can't land there till later. And so I'm not getting there till like, and I fly into New Orleans and I got to drive. So I probably oh, won't no, even yeah, be yeah, in yeah, Rad yeah, Rouge yeah. till like yeah, nine o'clock. Saturday's game day. I'm out first thing in the morning, but I really wanted to. I thought I was going to get down there early on Friday, but I can't. Yeah, yeah you're not flying into Baton Rouge. No one wants to really fly into Baton Rouge because you got to. I'm going to fly out of Baton Rouge, but I'm not going to really? fly into. Really? Uh -oh. Flying out of Baton Rouge and then you got to. Should I be a probably... concern? Should I be no, concerned? it's fine. It's fine. You probably got to stop though, right? Oh, yeah, in Dallas. <sighs> Nigga, we got to get into the show, but you you traveling. Like, we don't, we don't do connections, man. I, like, I you, agree. That's why, like, that's why I don't check a bag. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Why don't you just stay in Dallas? It's Thanksgiving next week. Well, you could just fly. Why are you connecting Dallas? You could just stay there for the whole week and be with your family. Because I have something to do next week. Oh, I feel you. I feel you. Are you going to see your family when you're staying in Dallas? I'm not staying in Dallas. It's a connecting flight. So you stop in Dallas and you don't see your family. You know what, Rachel? We're going to have a conversation <laughs> about you don't see my family, you don't see your family. <laughs> at it's least, hey, at least I keep it. At least I'm you keep even. it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Big deal of the day. Van Jones. It's all entwined. You got Van Jones and a rally in D.C. And we got a fight at the Daily Wire. Something's going to happen on this podcast right now that I never in a million years thought would happen. But we are living in strange times. All right, on the other side of this break. You missed the opportunity to rhyme. Gosh, come on, Van. You're slipping. What was the rhyme? You said, and we got a fight. And I thought you were going to say, on the right. Oh, that's actually good. See, maybe <laughs> all right, on the other side of this break, <laughs> more rhyming. More rhyming with Rachel Ben. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. 
So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. All right. So uh, there was a pro-Israel rally that took place in Washington, D.C. Um, and a lot of people came out for this rally. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the people that were at the rally. But it, people seem to be fixated on the fact that Van Jones was there. Okay. Um, and I'm going to say something right now. People are doing Van Jones a little dirty. They're being unfair to Van Jones. Okay. I'm being for real when I say this. They're being mm-hmm. unfair to Van Jones. Now, um, this pro-Israel rally is interesting from the standpoint of it seems to be uh, a reaction to a lot of the sentiment surrounding Israel and what's happening right now as it uh, relates to the uh, operations in Gaza, the bombardment in Gaza. Um People are calling what's happening in Gaza a genocide. They do not believe that Israel is following humanitarian and international law um, and the way that they're prosecuting their war against Hamas. They believe that they're indiscriminately bombing um, hospitals, refugees camps, other places like that under the guise uh, of it being operations against Hamas. Mm-hmm. Of course, we've heard the counter narratives. Israel says it must eradicate Hamas after the just vicious, brutal, deadly terror attacks from October 7th. They say that Hamas has um, entrenched itself uh, within civilian areas, schools, hospitals, what have you, refugee camps. So the only way to prosecute the war is to bomb those places because that's the only way to hit Hamas. But when you do that, you kill thousands and thousands of people. And according to the Palestinian Health Ministry, thousands and thousands of people have been killed, uh, including over 4,000 children. So what we're seeing right now um, in D.C. is not only people that are showing their solidarity with Israel, but I also believe personally that it's a reaction to growing international condemnation of the way Israel is prosecuting its war. And that condemnation isn't just within the international community. You're starting to see even the administration over here, the Biden administration, uh, increasingly respond to pressure by people who don't want to be associated with the way the war in Gaza is going. And you're starting to see uh, that bear out um, in the way the United States is both talking about the war um, and dealing with and comported itself during international uh, 
voting. Like there was a vote in the UN that just te- took place a, a little while ago for a ceasefire. Normally the, the United States votes no or has voted no to any talk of a ceasefire. And this time the United States abstained. Abstaining is cowardly, but it is at least uh, to some a sign that the United States does not stand unequivocally in opposition to a ceasefire. First of all, before we get into the rally, am I wrong in any way to you, the way you feel like uh, uh, people here in the international community are starting to react or respond to what's going on in Gaza? No, I mean, I think that that's, I think, and and again, I'm not as well-versed on this, but I feel like, Governments don't know how to react. And I'll speak to ours about what's going on, about the opposition to the way the Israeli government is handling the war and the way that people are standing up for, like in a humanitarian way, talking about the innocent lives and civilians, because I feel like the sentiment has always been in the past, well, these are, this is just a product of the war. You know, like lives are lost, like the, they're, they're trying to accomplish a greater good. And sometimes innocent people or, or innocent lives are what, whatever it may be, are destroyed in the process. That's just a product of the war. And people have just accepted it. And I feel like we're living in a time now where they're not doing that. So yes, there seems to be, whether it's social media, whether it's people being more educated on history, things of the past, um, or even just what's happening, happening in the present, Absolutely, the way that you just couch this, what's going on is what's happening. And I don't feel like the governments, different governments know how to handle and react to it because it is so different from what's been done in the past. Of course, there's always been an outcry to protect the innocent, but not to this level, it seems. Hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong. No, you know what's funny is I don't think that you're wrong, but I do think that there are Jewish people or not necessarily Jewish people. I do think that there are Zionists that would ask the question, why? And I, I've, I've had conversations with are. some of my friends yes. that, that, that would say, normally when there are wars that are being prosecuted or, you know, wars waged, innocent civilians die. And there don't seem to be right. as many people saying, hey, we condemn this, we condemn this. But I've had people say to me, when Israel is waging their war, all of a sudden, everyone cares about the Palestinians and what's going on in Gaza. I, I think, and I've heard that, and I understand that feeling. And mm-hmm. also, I, I also think that people are being, I think people are being obtuse a little bit when they discuss why Jewish people around the world feel persecuted or why they feel like there's some special set of rules that they have to operate with as it relates to war, why they feel like people are always looking for fault or looking to find fault with them, right? Mm -hmm. I think people are saying, hey, it's not that simple. We're just talking about things that are happening. And they're saying, we're always being persecuted. And they're saying, stop making yourself the main deal. If you really step back and everyone really accesses this throughout a lens of what people have gone through and trauma and the response to that, then you'll see that obviously there's a reason why of course the Jews or or Jewish people or Israeli people would feel like they've been treated unfairly or they're being unfairly persecuted 
is because there is a long history of that. Mm-hmm. And so the actual um uh the actual goal here, the tough thing to do here is to have this conversation just about people in a vacuum of what you've gone through, what you've been through and 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 how you look at the world. Like to say, hey, 10,000 dead people, how many is enough? Or to mm-hmm. say, hey, uh, 1,200 people killed on October 7th, what does that give a country a right to do? And, and talk about it as if we're putting people first and not our trauma and our horror and the horrors of our past first. To what you were just saying, I would say this um, to any, and I have said this to any of my Jewish friends who I've discussed this with, is like, it, it's not going to be, in my opinion, a compelling argument to use horrors of the past to justify why horrors now can go on. Right. You bombed Dresden, you killed this many people, or you used the the uh, uh, nuclear bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, this happened. I think what people would say is, you know, those are things that we should have learned from. Exactly. And if even if we talk about more recent things, the invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan, those are things that we should have learned from. Those are things that we should be wary of supporting or repeating. So just because they happened in the past, to me, doesn't give anyone a mandate to do anything similar now. It's Mm -hmm. actually what we should be saying now, anytime a war is happening anywhere is, how do we continuously do better in terms of dealing with non-combatants and civilians during situations like this? And I think if we take a step back and remove ourselves from the posture of you did it so we can do it too, I think we'll, we kind of understand that we're looking at this from a different way. And a lot of people here in America are uncomfortable with the relationship between America and Israel and what that means as far as our culpability and what will be happening there. I think a lot of things are happening. We're not going to relitigate that. I think just think that's an overall view mm-hmm. of kind of uh, the, the table setting under which the, the the march was happening. A lot of people came out. Um, Isaac Herzog, who is the president of Israel, not the prime minister, the head of state, the the top guy there um, is obviously Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, the president there is more of a ceremonial type of situation that they have, I believe is uh, elected by the parliament there in Israel. Chuck Schumer was there. House Speaker, newly minted House Speaker Mike Johnson was there. Um, Hakeem Jeffries was there. And a couple other people were there too that I kind of want to talk about as we talk about the strange bedfellows that all of this animus and conflict in the Mideast is making. It's really an interesting thing and it might be happening here on Higher Learning too. Uh, But Van Jones got a lot of the um, the attention is what we're going to do. A lot of the things that Van Jones said were cut up and used as clips. Yeah. And I was tortured because of this. Because of the Van Jones, Van Lathan mix up, which continues. I know. Y'all got, you always have to give a public announcement about it. People hit me up. I was at the gym. People were like, how could you? Like, <laughs> I don't know what I have to do. I don't know what I have to do. I don't know what I <laughs> just take it. Just, just take why. Um. So, uh, here's the deal. Play a little bit of what Van Jones had to say. Come back, Donnie. Run it. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm a peace guy. I pray for peace. No more rockets from Gaza and no more bombs falling down on the people of Gaza. God protect the children. God protect children. Let's end all the horror and all the heartbreak in the Holy Land. Let's end all of it. Let's end all of it. But I'll be honest in closing. When I think about what's happening over there, I don't feel powerful to do something about what's happening over there. What I do feel powerful is to maybe do something about what's happening here. Let's take a stand here against anti-Jewish bigotry. Let's take a stand against Muslim. Let's, let's take a stand here against hatred. Let's take a stand here against hatred of all kinds. I watched Ben Jones's entire speech. Guys, mm -hmm. first of all, when he said, let's take a stand mm -hmm. against Muslim, the context matters there. Rachel, of course it does. I'm just kidding. Of course it does. Of course it does. I watched the whole thing. The context matters there. He's he what he meant to say. If you're giving him a shred of charity, it's like let's take a a, a, a stand against uh, Islamophobia or anti-Muslim sentiment. That's what he that's what he was trying to say, guys. Mm -hmm. That's what he was trying to say. Van Jones did his best job of both sides in the issue up there uh, during his speech. Yes. He did essentially what most people would think would be the right thing to do, which is to say, hey, I am completely for the safety of Israeli people. But what I don't want is that to come uh, at the expense of Palestinian civilians that don't have anything to do with this. I don't want to answer terrorism with terrorism of people. And I can both stand, I guess, with Israel and with the safety of Israel and be critical of anti-Semitism everywhere, Islamophobia everywhere, and the war in Gaza. and. I think his participation in the march in the first place pissed a lot of people off. And I think when he when he went there, he probably left the people there at the march as they started to chant no ceasefire. He probably left them unsatisfied with what he had to say. And it just goes to demonstrate the intractability of this issue and how sometimes it seems as if people don't want humanity they want fealty to how they look at it. I think he, I think he, he took a big L in every single direction. And I think some of it was a little unfair. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, if you're watching, I was shaking my head when you talked about the part of him saying, uh, take a stand against Muslims. Like I, I'm joking. Obviously, I, I listened to the whole thing as well. His whole speech was about, you know, peace. Um, innocent civilians, being a humanitarian and fighting against hatred for all people. Okay, that was like the general consensus of his speech. The problem is that I think Van Jones is easy to pile on because he does constantly 
try to both sides issues. And anybody who's reading articles, watching the news knows that this is not an issue that you can both sides. So his intentions might have been good to speak to this rally about, you know, the people and for peace. But it's almost like, did you forget where you were? The very podium that he was standing at said, March for Israel, March to free hostages, March against anti-Semitism. Nothing about it was both siding it. And he quickly learned that by the chants and the boos that were coming from the crowd the moment that he did. His very presence standing in front of a podium that said those three things means that that's what you stand for alone. It wasn't inclusive. And so I just don't understand how, again, his intention may have been good. And I do believe a lot of times he does have good intention, but he so often tries to please both sides that that's why people have such an issue with him. It's like, take a stand against something. And his stand here was for peace and for people, but it was lost on this audience. And I think it just highlights too where we are on this issue. As people, you're either this or you're this. Nobody wants to hear anything in between. And that was very reflective of the way that that crowd responded to him and reflective of the way that social media responded to him. It was a lose-lose situation for him to go here, even if his heart was in the right place. So there's some tough questions that you have to ask during this conversation, right? When you say that you want peace in Israel, like, what does that mean? Peace for Israelis, like, what does that mean? Like, what does that Mm -hmm. mean? Um, What I mean is this. I don't want people to have to worry about whether or not they're going to get slaughtered at a music festival or whether or not their kibbutz is going to get burned to the ground and uh, or whether or not they're going to get systemically slaughtered uh, while they're not involved in anything. Mm -hmm. However, there's a step further that goes there as well, right? There's a Because when you say you want that, it doesn't just mean when you want peace in the region, that doesn't just mean that you don't want civilians to be targeted during times of war. That also has to mean that you don't want people killed in settlements in the West Bank. I want people to know that prior to October 7th, when we talk about the fact that there was a ceasefire, you hear this uh, repeat often, that there was a ceasefire before October 7th and that Hamas broke that ceasefire. Um, Prior to October 7th, 237 Palestinians had been killed in various different, uh, by, by Israeli forces, various different times throughout that year. So their lives were always forfeit in a way that it wasn't really reflected um, for Israeli life. So it was always mm-hmm. a thing, right? Uh, so the question becomes, when you say you want peace, do, does that mean you want the absence of war? Or do you actually want peace? Because if you want peace, then that means you want freedom of movement for people. You want equal rights for people. You want people to be able to live openly, freely, and honestly uh, without having an occupying force? That's a tougher question because that makes you ask really hard questions about what it is that you might be supporting. There were also some other people that were there that were very, very peculiar to me. One was named John Hagee, who is uh, an evangelical preacher who had said things in the past like, God sent Adolf Hitler to help Jews reach the promised land. He said that once before. He'd also said that there was a homosexual parade on the Monday that Katrina came Hmm. that he believed that Katrina, which killed my family members, 
was in fact the judgment of God against the city of New Orleans. Interesting. He also once said that Muslims were a religion that had a mandate to kill all Christians and Jews. There are over 1.8 billion Muslims on the planet. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff that, that's going on that's making weird, weird, weird alliances. You wouldn't think that a guy that had said as many anti-Semitic things and also believes in the fact that God, Jesus, when he touches down on earth, will forcibly convert Jews into being Christians, Muslims into being Christians and run a millennial, a millennial theocracy there from the seat of power in Jerusalem. You wouldn't think that a guy like that would be standing on that stage, but these are the times that we live in. That brings us to other people who you would not think that you would be agreeing with. And that brings us to Candace Owens. Hmm. Candace Owens is into it with Ben Shapiro. No. Who is the editor, Emeritus, over at... um. How do you say is that? How do you say that? Emeritus? 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 I don't know how you say it. You've uh, confused over, me as well. Over at the Daily Wire. They're into it because Candace has been decidedly uh, not in favor. <laughs> Should I say what his real is doing? And Ben Shapiro, we know, is a very ardent Zionist. Um, he's also a racist troll. I just want you guys to remember something about Ben Shapiro, who now uh, ask the world for alliance in condemning people who might harm Jews. I want you to remember who Ben Shapiro is. Ben Shapiro on Trayvon Martin's birthday. Mm. On Trayvon Martin's birthday. Okay? On his birthday, tweeted this. Trayvon Martin would have turned 21 today if he hadn't taken a man's head and beating it on the pavement before being shot. He mm. tweeted that on Trayvon Martin's birthday. That tweet is still up. He also trolled black people because we were so excited about Black Panther. Just fucking with black people for no reason. For no reason. Mm -hmm. This is kind of the disconnect that I'm talking about, guys. Right. When I'm talking about people who have obviously admitted such anti-black sentiment and then have the nerve to appeal to your humanity and ask you whether or not you're a barbarian. You fucking went on here knowing that this, would, this kid was killed. Anyway, Ben Shapiro is, was mad with Candace Owens mm -hmm. and before we get to her statements, he had this to say about her. Yes, uh, the, the question is about Candace Owens. I think her behavior during this is disgraceful. I think she's been absolutely disgraceful. I think that I think that her her faux sophistication on these particular issues has been ridiculous. It's not faux sophistication; it's ridiculous. Everybody can see the moves that she's making and the things that she is saying, and I find them disreputable. Called her disreputable, saying that she's uh, has faux sophistication on the issues. Uh, the issue of Israel and, 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 God, and Hamas um, and what's going on over in Palestine and uh, Gaza. Um, I want you to listen to Candace Owens now on the Tucker Carlson show. And guys, it hurts to play it as much as it does for you to listen to it because she's been anti-black as well. Mm -hmm. But I want you to listen to this and tell me if you think that Candace Owens 
is lacking sophistication on this issue. Huh. Where if you don't say anything, they say your silence is violence. If you say something and it's even handed and it's nuanced, which is to say, you know, during the times of Black Lives Matter, you might say, I don't support police brutality. Who no, does? I don't support racism. Who does? But also, I think that police are a crucial part of every uh, city. We need to have pol policing in cities. So these calls to defund the police are immoral and wrong and are going to lead to more black deaths. People didn't want that nuance. When black life, following George Floyd, there was no nuance. You had to explicitly say, defund the police. You did. Um, you had yep. to post a black right square. I have seen every single person, including myself, condemn what happened on October 7th. I have, because who wouldn't condemn terrorism? It's obvious. Right. Who would not condemn innocent Israelis dying? But if you then say that it is also sad when an innocent Palestinian child dies, suddenly this is pro Hamas, or you need to say, even when you're talking about how sad it is that a child dies, you need to button that statement by saying, but that child was a human shield. That's not going to be my response. Um, first off, as a mother, that's not going to be my response as somebody who is about to do, to give birth when I see these images of children yes. involved on both sides of the conflict. I have pointed to the, the people that are mocking dead Israeli children and said that they are horrific. I am even keel on this matter. And yet people think that you need to be extreme. So people that have become more radical and extreme are perceiving a moderate stance as not enough. And because you, I was about to say, you don't, people can disagree with you or agree with you or whatever, but you certainly don't seem radical on this topic. <laughs> Definitively not radical. Okay, you can cut it off now. We don't give a shit about that. Um, it, it, it. Three shots. <laughs> she keeps the same I'm, I'm, energy. I'm not she shocked. I'm just that there's almost no way you can disagree with her there, right? It's on, yes, on, yes. On that. Not Black look, Lives Matter, but yes. Look, uh, 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 her, her business, obviously we disagree. Uh, I wasn't telling anybody to post any black squares. You know, that's not my thing. I think all of that stuff gets to be performative anyway. Absolutely. But the reality of it is, is that once again, Ben Shapiro is someone who seemed as if he was flexing his industry muscle on her to make her say something, right? It's, I look, I don't want to play into any tropes, but the reality is that how can you disagree with what she said? She made a very cogent and logical uh, expression of why she doesn't feel the need to ignore the Palestinian children that are being killed over there right now. And how can you disagree with that? Well, it's because it's it's the same thing we said about any time an issue does directly impact you or it doesn't impact you. Everything that Ben Shapiro has said before, it's all about, you know, like free thinking and free speech and not being forced to say something that, you know, you don't believe in and having the right to have a difference of opinion or see things in a different way, even if you, you know, and, and not cancel people over it. But yet he's not keeping, and this is why I say, Candace is keeping the same energy. You at least got to give it to her. She's consistent on the things that she's saying and the way that she thinks about it. He's not doing that because this time it directly impacts him. Some of the same things that we were saying uh, with with surrounding Black Lives Matter, you know, there for him, there he couldn't see it any other way. As as a Zionist, you said he's a Zionist, right? He's a Zionist. In Shapiro, absolutely, yeah. yeah. As a as a Zionist this impacts him in a completely different way. And he is only seeing it through the eyes of a Zionist. And anybody who he feels is saying something that doesn't fall in line with that Zionism, he's going to flex his muscle, which is what 
Candace is kind of saying, calling out the hypocrisy in that as she goes on to use her Twitter platform and, and, and in within this interview with Tucker Carlson, he's being a complete, been a, a bitch is being a complete hypocrite at the moment. All right. There it has been. I'm saying, uh, it's weird. You see Mike Johnson and Hakeem Jeffries on the stage together. You see Hagee up there. You see Van saying that, you know, Candace Owens is making a lot of sense. It's just weird, scary political times here. Everything's all in your time. It's weird. Everyone's in their feelings. Yeah. And not saying that they shouldn't be about things. I just want to be clear. That's what I feel like people are doing things out of emotion. Um, All right, guys. Uh, We're going to go ahead and get to the... uh, it, the um, the uh, Royce the Five Nine interview right now. Let me get to that interview. Get it out there for the people. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. All right. Um, a lot of talk in hip hop about messages, a lot of talk in hip hop about what we should be doing. And look, man, of all the people that I talk to that are a part of the rap game, of all the people that I know, there are people who are expert rappers. There are people who are great people. But I can tell you right now, the guy that we're talking to is an expert, high level rapper with as much skin in the game as anybody else and just one of the most honorable men that you could talk to. One of the best guys for advice. Royce the 5'9", Detroit's own, uh, is joining us today on Higher Learning. Brother, we're happy to have you. How you doing, my man? Come on, man. I'm excited to be here, man. Thank you for the, thank you for the kind words on the intro, too, man. That's a great way to, great way to jump it off. Let it's me ask you a question. Be here. Let me ask you a I'm question. I'm a fan of the show. Before we even get thank into you. it, let me ask you a question. Is okay. it, just real quick, you know me. Is it too late for me to start rapping? Oh. I don't think so. See? To, so to, to you... achieve what? To achieve what, though? It's a great question. I mean, to mm-hmm. achieve, I mean, to, I mean, what do you mean? To put all y'all under my thumb. <laughs> what, do you, what, what, what do you think I want to do? I want to, I'm, I'm, oh, I'm oh, out, you... I'm out, I'm, I'm in the game to become number one in the game, Royce. You, you but like, you are. Well, honestly, honestly, like you already, um, you already have a brand, just not as a rapper. So you have a, you have an audience. Okay. Okay. You want to hear what so I'm saying? Like, if you can win them over, if you can win them over, you can do like a little pivot. You want to hear my song that I just made up about not doing drugs? Okay. Okay. Real quick for Royce 59 before we get into the whole hip hop thing. It's just, Rachel, stop. Everybody stop. This is the song right here. We've already heard it, Royce. I just want you to know we already heard it. No, he does just, not need a beat. There is a one. Okay, okay. This is the beat. Okay. <laughs> Two, three, four. Stop doing drugs. Stop doing drugs. Everybody, stop doing drugs. Stop snorting coke. Stop snorting coke. Everybody, stop snorting coke. Stop shooting up. Stop shooting up. 
Everybody stop shooting the boo, stop popping pills. They don't give you thrills. Everybody stop popping pills. Yo. Sign me to heaven. Sign me to heaven. That's incredible. Studios. That's incredible. <laughs> you don't even need heaven studios, bro. That, that's, <laughs> that's already on the frequency already. You pulled that from God. <laughs> Royce. I know you have been keeping up with the conversations in hip hop as of late. 50 years of hip hop. You've dedicated your life to this thing called rap. Um, and it's been good to you. It's It's been good to you. you. You do it at a high level. There's substance in your music. There's substance in your life. Uh, before we even get into what Dr. Umar had to say, just want to ask you, 50 years of hip hop, looking back at it, do you think that it's time for hip hop to assess its responsibility culturally to black people? Do you, when you hear people say that, do you think, ah, they got a point? Or do you feel like, I don't want people telling me what my art is supposed to do? What does Royce think? Well, I felt, for a minute, I felt like that we need to, we need to, we need to start being mindful of everything. Yes, we do need to figure out a way to hold each other accountable. Not even just, not even just in music, but as a culture, as a culture. I think the first step is to identify how influential we are, how important we are as a culture, how much we need to know how much money do we generate. We need to know how much money is going out of the, going out of the black community or going out of the culture versus what's coming in. I think we need to start paying attention to all of that stuff. I think accountability is a big thing. We didn't know that hip hop was going to make it this big. And it's kind of like a double-edged sword because it's like, when you look at like people like Pac and, well, let's say Pac, that's the, probably the most important rapper ever, right? To, uh, to censor Pac is to, is to dim greatness, you know? So I think, I think it's a, it's a, we, we would have to be very, very selective. But then on, in most cases, you can pretty, you can tell when somebody's being like, when somebody's painting a picture and they're being artistic versus somebody that's just being straight up ratchet. So, I mean, I think, um, I think when we come into the game, especially since we're so young, when we get into the game, I was 20. When we come into the game, we need to be a little bit more mindful of how important our words are and the responsibility that comes along with having a platform. Mm. It's it's like it's something that's afforded to you, just like success. Success is not free. You know, when you get it, you have to give back. You have to give it back. You can't just take your ball and go home because then you'll lose the blessing. You know, I I really feel like that. So I feel like when it comes to the music, why not hold each other accountable? We just need to figure out a way to speak to each other. That to me, that's the problem. You know, like everything offends everybody and everybody's triggered by everything. And um, I don't see a lot of people um, doing a real good job of like judging, judging what's happening off the intent versus what's being said. People just don't like to hear their name. People don't like to be the finger pointed at them or be looked at as like the problem or be singled out. So I think it's a lot more there than just ratchet lyrics. I think it's a it's a um there's a huge I don't know if I want to say disconnect but there's a there's an issue within our community where I just feel like we don't like each other. Mm. Before we get into Dr. Umar, one more last question on the the 50 years. When you look at 50 years, 
And, and to what you just said about accountability and responsibility, do you ever believe over the 50 years there was a time when that's what hip hop rap was? And if so, when did it switch? I don't believe there ever was a time where, where, um, where it was a thing for us to be, hold ourselves accountable for what we're saying. I think there's a time in hip hop where there were a lot more rappers doing positive music and having a positive message in their music at a time, at the same time, and it was marketable. But I don't think, I don't think that I would conflate that with the culture having the understanding that we have to be more conscious of what, what we say in our music. Because we we took it, we took something that it was so raw and we got to just express ourselves and we were the guy, we were the people from the underserved communities that not even by circumstance, but on purpose didn't have a voice. And then we, we were allowed to, ha- we, we found out a way to have a loud voice so the world can hear everything about us that they didn't know. I just think that now we're past that point. I think we're we're to the point now where it's just being abused now. Mm-hmm. And at some point, at some point, we got to we got to hold ourselves accountable. And I'm not pointing the finger at anybody. I'm talking about myself too. Yeah, yeah. So you know what's interesting, bro? Is I was having this conversation with Charlemagne, and he he actually countered it. What he said was, we actually don't see that there's more hip hop that is uh that is that is not street hip hop. He was like, what about the fact that the biggest rappers in the game or non-street guys like your Coles, your Drakes, your Kendricks, like guys like that. And that if we really pay attention to it, that there's been a change in hip hop in the last 10 or 15 years where the street stuff is not as popular anymore. It doesn't feel like that, but does he have a point? I, yeah, I think that's a different conversation, honestly. Okay. Okay. I, I think, I think, um, if, if we talking about an indictment on hip hop, then yeah, that's a great counter. But what I'm talking about is not an indictment. It's, 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 it's just necessary. It's necessary for us to be more aware of, of how important our words are and the ramifications that comes with what we say from our platform. And I'm not even just talking about in the music. I'm talking about the way we carry ourselves. Publicly, oh, wow. anything that we're doing, anything that we're doing with children are watching. I mm-hmm. think that I think that we should we should. I would love to get to a place as a community where we can hold each other accountable without offending each other. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. So we, what we're going to do right now is we're going to play a little bit of what the good brother Dr. Umar had to say. Controversial figure, but when he's right, he's right. And just let you see, just listen to it and see if. Um, by the way, just before people get into it, this is not in any way for us to pit Royce against Dr. Umar, Dr. Umar mm-hmm. against Royce. That is yeah. not the thing here. It's just that. I can yeah, never be against Dr. Umar. Of, of course. So like, what I'm saying is, it's just very deep and layered what Dr. Umar said. So I wanted to get uh, somebody who's been as successful as Royce to get his, uh, his take on it. So go ahead and run that real quick and then we'll see what Royce thinks. 50th anniversary of hip hop. We, we only got 60 days left in 2023. Do you mean to tell me we're going to let this year-long celebration go by and nobody's going to have a serious conversation about whether hip-hop has actually been a benefit or not to the Black community? I haven't seen a conversation, a YouTube, a town hall meeting 
a BET special. I don't see anybody talking about the ramifications, the negative impact that hip hop has had on the black community. Now, the first thing the hip hop artist is going to say, I'm only rapping what I live, but you don't live it no more. The minute you start making money, you moved out the neighborhood. So why are you still rapping about drugs and death when you don't live around that no more? That means you're a hypocrite. And if you're so dedicated to telling the ghetto tale, why did you move out the neighborhood? Why do you send your kids to private schools? So you live in a white neighborhood. You send your kids to white private schools. You moved out the black ghetto the minute you had enough money to do so. But yet you're telling me the reason you're still rapping about death, drugs, jail and homicide is because that's the life you live. You don't live it no more. What you think? Uh, about which part? <sighs> I guess as a whole, but I'll ask you about this specific part. When Dr. Umar or brothers like him are talking, they specifically talk about tangible results for a group of people. So whenever you hear him talk or the people of his ilk talk and you guys just before our audience freaks out, I don't endorse everything that Dr. Umar says, but when Dr. Umar is talking about the black community, he talks very specifically about hospital, school, grocery store. Like what you actually need to live and you just can't deny that actual community building is about having those things inside of your community. So what do you think about the idea that hip-hop has been less beneficial to Black people over the course of its life than it feels like? It's inc incredibly culturally uh, influential, but has hip-hop benefited Black people? I mean, I, I know it's benefited you in your life, but have you seen the benefit from where you're standing or sitting? It absolutely has benefited black people. I mean, if you look at rock and roll and, and the way rock and roll just kind of like fell off and disappeared um, and how small we started and how hip hop kind of like took over everything uh -huh. and then evolved into this, um, this, this genre that's broken down into a whole bunch of different sub genres where there's a lot of negativity being painted and a lot of negative pictures being painted, but there's also the first of its kind positive things that are happening. Like, like in hip hop, we'll be the first genre of music where our legends will be on stage, not looking like that they're about to fall over and croak at any second. Right. Our legends are going to have longevity. This is the first genre of music that speaks to, to community issues, mental health issues, you never heard about, all you heard about was drugs from rock and roll. You know what I mean? Like, we're, we're the quickest evolving genre of music. You know what I mean? And then we also are the easiest outlet to financial gain, maybe not financial freedom due to lack of information. But I think that there's a lot of silver lining there that guys like Dr. Umar, no offense to him, because I, I, I understand why he can't see it, because or the way he he just looks at it, you know what I mean? But yeah. and he's absolutely right with most of the stuff that he's saying. He's absolutely right. But um I think he's just a little bit blunt with the way that he puts it. And um I don't think he's trying to see the silver line in it. I think he's trying to just see obvious, obvious results, obvious results. But us as black people, we don't get obvious and, and immediate instant 
like blatant in your face results anyway. You know what I mean? With anything, yeah. protesting yeah. or anything, because we can't we can't agree on anything. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. just like even himself, like he argues, he argues back and forth with other activists. You know what I mean? Like all yeah. of that shit need to stop. You know what I mean? Like mm. fingers can be pointed in a lot of different ways. It's 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 all harmful. It's it's all harmful. When you when you do things to make yourself mean worthy, you're taking all of the credence out of all of that truth that you that you speak. Yeah. You know what I mean? So we all can be criticized. You know what I'm saying? And so we it's all like, can be better. Yeah, hip hop. Hip hop is not perfect, but I don't think we have. When we don't have any perfect spots within our community, mm-hmm. no, no, none of our spots are perfect. You know what I mean? We got. We just have moments of greatness all around that nobody else has. And I think we, we overlook stuff like that and we don't realize our value. I think we need to start looking at, we need to start identifying with the good stuff first. So, so the morale can get a little bit higher because everything just feels like an indictment. You know what I mean? Like I could receive what Dr. Umar said, because I got the utmost respect for him, but a lot of guys ain't trying to hear that shit. Because of because of the way because of the delivery, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, do you so, think that? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were done. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, do you think like to Dr. Umar's point? And I'm not one to necessarily agree with Dr. Umar, but <laughs> yeah, you know you when know, you know why you know why? Why? This is not the only reason. <laughs> I agree with most of the shit he has ever said. What Van wants to say is because I'm in an interracial relationship. So he's, so that's the point that he's, he's talking about with what Dr. Umar says. That's not everything. Shut up, Van. Anyways, back to my (laughs) question, back to the topic at hand. We're not here to waste Roy's time. Um, I think to Dr. Umar's point, you know, he's more like speaking to is rap, hip hop trickling down into the community. When we were talking about, you know, with you about, uh, accountability and responsibility is that is the music is the industry we know it benefits those who are in it but is it is there that responsibility and is it trickling down in for black people uh into the community do you believe that and and do you believe it should it yeah, doesn't have to the responsibility part, portion of it yeah like uh, like this 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 multi-million dollar billion if, if it's billion i don't even know business all this money that's being made okay billion dollar business all this money that's being made and uh, the people who are in the industry are making this money off of it and it speaks to our culture he's saying it's not trickling down into the culture into the community oh, do you believe yeah. that there is a responsibility from the industry for it to do that or from rappers to do that um and do they even have to yeah, I think I think it's a it's a responsibility. I think the, the rappers, the artists, the black artists, um, in particular, I think we should we should be held to every standard. I'm not going to even lie to you. We should be held to every standard. Um, obviously, a little bit more lenient with some of the younger guys, but really just hold hold each other to every standard. Now, the, the music industry, I also believe that they should be held to every standard by the artists. You know what I mean? But they have like a lot of tactics that they use to make the um the younger artists that come into the game with not a lot of information. They have tactics that they use to make them feel like, you know, it's 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 our pleasure for you to be here. 
it yeah. don't mess up because you won't you might not you might not get another shot. You know what I mean? So a lot of guys are just being PC because they don't want they're in fear of losing their quote unquote position. You know, so that fearlessness that we would need, you know, for everybody to kind of like be stomping through like Dr. Umar. Everybody's not that kind of self-contained, you know what I mean? But I feel like in a perfect world, in a perfect world, like if Barry Gordy wouldn't have sold Motown and we had if we had that as a hub to kind of fall back on, I think the whole trajectory of everything would have just been different. But I don't I, I just don't see us getting to where we need to be without doing everything that you just said. Everything. You know? Like the, the what the industry is built on robbing artists. And I, I don't even know if I can call it robbery because it's just it's the nature of the business. It's just how business is set up. The people with the more information and the people with the capital and the powers that be or whatever you want to call them, they they have more information than you coming into the game. So you're going to get taken advantage of unless somebody that came before you, like myself, who made all the mistakes that you can possibly make, has to share the information with you. That's not happening. There's a big void there. It's so much that's not happening. So it's just a responsibility to the OGs. It's a responsibility to the artists. It's a responsibility to the women. It's a responsibility to the executives. It's a responsibility to everybody, to me. Let me ask you this. And we got Royce Five Nine joining us on Higher Learning. I got two more questions, but the next one I feel like might be the most important. Man, how do we have a conversation, right? Because so much of what hip hop is about, and so much of what we go through culturally permeates uh, how the accountability is perceived. Obviously, you know we've had D One here on this podcast. D One made waves because he went on Sway Show and he. He called out people directly. And from his uh, audience and from the audience, you know, a lot of people thought that he had some points. From those brothers, it was not well received. And I mm -hmm. have been on the phone. Um, and, you know, this D1 has said this. I have been on the phone with certain of those brothers trying to make sure that things are ironed out and that everybody is talking from a place of understanding to make sure that, you know, it doesn't go to a place that is unproductive. Let me just put it like put it like that. Mm -hmm. What is yeah. account? What does accountability look like when, it's pre particularly in hip hop, when any time a rapper hears his name said by other rap well, another rapper, he is programmed culturally and in hip hop to neutralize the threat. Anytime you hear your name, and I know you, I know if somebody's rapping and you hear Royce the Five Nine, or if somebody's in the interview and you hear Royce the Five Nine, there's just not going to be. It, it seems like there's a lot of work we have to do in how. Put it like this. Let me not meander. What does that accountability look like? How do you do it in a in a in a in a, in a Royce the Five Nine world? How do you have that accountability when it seems like sometimes? We're so defensive. Well, to me, it's a it's a good it's a great icebreaker. It's a great way to um, extend the olive branch and start a relationship with somebody that you may not be necessarily 
you may not necessarily feel like you have a whole lot in common with 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 an artist that doesn't make the kind of music that you make. But one thing that I always stand on, man, if you're gonna make a if you're gonna make a statement and you're gonna hold people accountable, because I like what D1 said. I like what he was saying. I just don't, I, I don't really feel like um I feel like it was a more constructive way that he could have did it. Okay. I mean, because when you do, when you do, when you do things publicly, you have to understand that you automatically put your intentions in question. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and, and you yeah. that's that's triggering to people. It makes people feel like that you're trying to, you're trying to, you're trying to do whatever you're doing at to, at, to their detriment. Like you're trying to use them, step on them to get across whatever you're trying to get across, mm. you know, cause there's so many, it's so many rappers that fall under the category that, that the brothers spoke about, you know, it's a, it's most of us. It's not just Meek and Ross and, 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 and Jim, you know what I mean? So, um, if I had been one of those rappers name, I don't think I would have got as upset as Jim, but I, I do understand why the reaction was like it was. It it it, it came from it's it felt like it came from a more judgmental place than a can than a constructive place. You know? But what he was saying was absolutely absolutely correct. You know what I mean? Like and I think um even though he didn't get the reaction from them that he was probably looking for, the crazy thing about humans, especially us, is a lot of times you just planting a seed. You know what I mean? Like even when you give and push back to something that somebody said to trigger you, it doesn't mean it didn't resonate. You know what I mean? It don't yeah. mean that it won't be in somebody's head when they go to write their next rap. Because come on, man, we all, we all, we all men at the end of the day. We got kids. We're not waking up in the morning eating our cereal with a fucking tech nine on the table. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like <laughs> You know, after you reach a certain age and you make a certain amount of money, you go to the studio and you damn near got to get in the character if you're just doing, you know, what you're known for doing. Right. You know, not every artist has the luxury of being able to switch shit up and, you know, evolve right before people's eyes. Some people don't want to let you go. Some fans, some fans just want you. They want you to stay how you were when you made that impression on them when they were 17. You know what I mean? And they don't want you. They don't want you to start rapping about smart shit. You know what I mean? Like you, your your music and the way you behave yourself is their escape. You know what I mean? So it's just when I when I decided to get sober, when I stopped drinking, first of all, I wasn't gonna tell anybody. I was scared to tell people. You know what I'm saying? Because I didn't know what my fans' reaction was gonna be because so much of my quote unquote brand was centered around being a an alcoholic. You know what I mean? So. I felt like I was taking a, I was jumping out the window to whatever the reaction was going to be. The reaction was going to be, I was prepared to just go get a regular job if I, if I had to, you know what I mean? And I I think it's just, it's like that. It's like that. You know what I mean? All it takes is one little thing. Oh man, he different. Look what happened when any of us go to jail, we get out. He's a clone. (laughs) Nah, he's not a clone. He just ain't been poisoning himself for the, for the past couple of years. His skin is clear. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, I mean, all of these conversations are like slippery slopes and double-edged swords. You know what I mean? Like, but Jim, you talking about three, you talking about three super intelligent guys. They may be aggressive by nature because of the 
you know, the environment that they come from that bred them, they may be aggressive, but uh, they're not no dummies. You know what I mean? Like that shit resonated for sure. For sure. Um, here's my last question. And, and just to, to piggyback on what you were saying, it is interesting because uh, there was an interview that just came out with Andre 3000 and he was talking about why he hasn't rapped in a long time, like a long time, because he said he doesn't have anything to rap about anymore because he was talking about how he wanted to rap about his current situation. He's like, what am I supposed to talk about? That my eyesight is diminishing, that I, you know, like talking about rapping about his reality. So it's interesting what you talk about, about rappers and and kind of evolving to the, their current state. But here's my last question. To counter Dr. Umar, which I love, um, there are a laundry list of rappers who have helped the community. I mean, the list goes on and on about charitable donations, outreach programs, scholarship funds, um, supporting movements. Several rappers, like a lot, have contributed to the community to help the community. Why do you think this isn't as loud as all the other stuff? Mm, loud, loud from within, like us championing yeah, that. Yeah, like, like Dr. Umar. Yeah, like Dr. Umar is saying that basically rappers aren't it's not, the industry isn't, it's not trickling down to the community. It's not helping the community. But rappers are doing things as far as implementing certain things now that they have made it into the community. Why do you think that we don't talk about that enough? Why isn't have, that as loud? Yeah, you have with yeah. the mental, with, the, with your mental health yeah. initiatives and all of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, um, that's a tough one because somebody like Dr. Umar, um, I think a lot of a lot of his objectives are are usually like he's usually preaching about community based shit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that that we we are lacking in that area. We are we doing a great job of being all scattered out and doing our own part in our own little environments that we live in. And you know, if we decide that we want to make that public, you know, like when I launched my foundation, um I had a press conference downtown Detroit. I invited all of the news, none of them showed up. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, there's a lot of things that I do that I posted, I made public, but it didn't cut through. It didn't, you know, it got lost within the algorithm. It didn't spread like, you know, if I had been arguing with Benzino or some shit, you know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> I mean, I just, I just don't think that people, I don't think people are that interested in people doing positive things in the community when they're looking to be entertained. You know, I think when it's time for everybody to be positive in the community, that's when all the finger pointing comes out. You know what I mean? Usually when we're in some sort of crisis, something just happened and, you know, everybody's triggered telling everybody what we need to do. Or we lose one of our, one of our legends. Like when we lost DMX, yo, yo, I had to get off Clubhouse. I, I did, I couldn't go back to Clubhouse because so many people were talking about DMX like it was, Everybody's fault. Yeah, we we sat there and watched him. You know, nobody, nobody. What kind of friends he got? Nobody didn't pull his coattail. And it's just a bunch of people talking who don't, who doesn't understand addiction. You know, and it's just like mm-hmm. I, I feel like that's a that's a comfortable place for people to be. You know, like pointing fingers and kind of like yelling about the problem. You know, so when you're somebody who actually just goes and tries to do the work and don't really do a lot of talking. I can see how we would get swept under the rug, but I can also see how that same person would not like to be called out <laughs> on any level about anything. You know what I mean? Even yeah. if the person 
it's kind of right, you know? So we'll never be like a monolith or anything like that. Um, we're never going to like take something that we love the idea, like Rhapsody. We love the idea of Rhapsody. I don't, I don't, I could, I couldn't love a female rapper more than I love her as a person. You know what I'm saying? Now, I don't know nobody who doesn't like it, but for whatever reason, it's not like we're just all coming together and just, yo, let's push, let's push Rhapsody. You know, like, it just kind of is what it is. You know, like yeah. people got their times of the day where they wanted, they want their necessary ignorance. I still go to world star from, from time to time, right. poison my brain just for a quick second. Then I try to balance it out. But there was a point in time where I wasn't even conscious of that at all. I didn't care. You know what I mean? So give people a, give people a little bit of a, some room to grow. I think. Yeah. My last question is actually about Andre 3000. Did you do the same thing that I did? Like I got played and you know how I feel about three stacks. Like I, I got played harder than I've ever been played in my life. And I realized that I played myself. I'm on Twitter and it says Andre 3000 is dropping Friday. And I'm like, bro, the serotonin levels. Like, I, oh, shit. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm crazy. And I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe this. And I, I literally posted on Twitter. I was like, I'm almost in tears. And then mm. the uh, they, they came back and it was like, man, it's an all flute album. And then I, I responded. Well, now I'm actually crying. Okay. <laughs> and but I've thought about it. This brother's expressing himself artistically the way he needs to. Are you disappointed that it's not a rap album? No, I'm not disappointed. I'm not disappointed. Um probably because I understand what he's going through. Yeah. Um I understand. Well, let me let me rephrase that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. <laughs> I understand what he's going through in the sense of um, him saying that I would love nothing more than to do a rap album, but that's, it, it, it's just, it just hasn't been happening. And I went in there and this, the, the vibe led me to this and this is just what it is. When I, when I go in the studio to record, um, after all this time and, and like doing so many different projects and, and collaborations and collaborative albums and doing a self a self-defining album and kind of like I feeling like I said everything that I kind of wanted to say uh, I just need to be fulfilled like I could I could write verses all day no problem no writer's block or anything like that but I can't get fulfillment out of just a, a 16 it has to be something about it that like it has to mean something, you know what I mean? Like, so I totally understand what he's saying. Now, the reason why I had to clarify that is because I was about to say that he set a very high bar a long, 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 long time ago. He was way ahead of his time. So I can only imagine what's going on in his mind trying to like compete above that bar, especially when you get a little bit older. Because that's when you start doing more. You think more. You think more. And all of that thinking is not good for us. You know what I mean? Like, we analyze. You know what I mean? Like, after we've been down the flight of stairs, up the flight of stairs so many times, we tripped on that one crack a couple times. And then now it's just like we already know it's there. And we're thinking about it every time we get on the stairs. You know what I mean? Like, everything is safe, 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 safe. So I talk myself out of plenty of songs in the studio. 
to have them written, recorded. I love them for for a second and be like, no, nah, I don't want to say that. Mm. There never was. Mm. A, there, I never used to be like that. Hmm. Just going there. Now I the think about up. my kids. When yeah. things happen publicly, I think about the first thing I think is, oh, my my daughter may see this. Let me let me be careful how I even respond to this. You know what I mean? And that's that's when they say rap is a young man's game. I usually disagree, but in that regard, right there, it's definitely a young man's game. It's 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 kind of forward or reckless. You know what I mean? When you get a little bit older and more mature, you get you become a little bit more apprehensive to be ignorant. You know, so look, uh, that's Royston Five Nine. You guys heard it first here. I'm signed. To, to Heaven oh. Studios. I got signed earlier. It's, look. It's a single deal. It's a single deal about the drug song. About the drug songs, a single deal. What we got to do is we got to get all of Detroit on it. And that's going to help me. We got to get Sada Baby in. We got to get Big Sean. And we're going to do a whole Detroit, M, bring M through a whole Detroit situation. And we'll have Jason Wilson at the top of it. And we just going, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm now, I've been adopted because when I came to Detroit a couple of weeks ago, I checked in with, with Royce. I was like, Royce is the mm-hmm. check-in because I don't give a fuck. I'll check in. <laughs> you, know, you, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I, I was like, Royce, just to let you know I'm in Detroit. That way, anything that happens, it's really Royce's fault. I can say, well, I wasn't mm-hmm. supposed to, to get touched up. It's on my watch. It's on, it's my watch. on Royce. It's on Royce. All right, brother. Love you, man. Appreciate the too, wisdom, brother. always. Royce of Five Nine, thank you for joining us on Higher Learning, brother. Yes, thank always you. good to speak to y'all, man. Love, love. All right, brother. Same. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with twenty five thousand miles on. I got it to over two hundred thousand miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. All right. Uh, Ray Chapter Run, I do want to, to, to do the Kiki Palmer topic real quick about the, her, her and Darius real quick because I want to I clear up something that was um, that I said on, on, on Twitter just so everybody knows. Uh, okay, so I don't think Donnie, Donnie and Ashley, are you guys there? Yep. Yep. Like, I don't think that we should play the entire seven minutes of this because it's a lot. Yeah. Okay. But I do want to play a little bit of it. Just a little bit of it. So it, this is, 
this, this was uh, made public by a guy named Armand Wiggins, who you can hear say his name over and over again in the audio. He, he broke a story. People, look, a lot of people had a problem with that. But the reality of the situation is that you break a story, most people want credit for the story. It's the reason why you hear TMZ break a story and you see the TMZ bug on there. So this guy putting his name throughout this audio that he know would circulate, it's not that big of a deal. It's what people in, in, in that industry do. Um, now, this is audio of Darius Jackson on the telephone call with Kiki Palmer and her mother. Let's play a little bit of it. Armand Williams. Bro, I've seen this like 20 different times, Sharon. It doesn't phase me anymore. <laughs> None of what y'all do phase me anymore. Come on now. Where's my son at? Where's my son at? Armand Williams. Okay. Okay. Yeah, okay. You are a dickless motherfucker. I'm sure. I don't know what the fuck my daughter just saw in your lip dick ass. That, that, I'm, I'm about to fix it. I'm about to fix it. That's what you raised. That's what you raised. You are, yeah, and that's what your mama raised. Dick suckers. Okay. Your mother's a dick sucker, too. I'm sure. Both of y'all are dick suckers. I'm sure. You probably a dicks, too. Okay. I'm on Wiggins. Yep. All right, so about a bullet. All right, so about that bullet again. Keep fucking with me, you might get a dick in your ass. Okay. Keep fucking with me. Okay. You motherfuckers don't know who you dealing with. Ah, uh, y'all do. Y'all have no idea who you stepped up and to play with. But it's all good. I tried to be nice to you. Yeah. I tried to be nice because I thought you had some mental problems. Nope. So I tried to be nice, yes. but you gonna talk about my daughter? <laughs> you gonna harass my daughter? You gonna talk about Usher? Usher is gay. Armand Williams. Told her to put some clothes on. 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 She's a mom. She has to put some clothes on. She's a mom. She has to put some clothes on. Okay, cut it off. Um, okay, here's the thing. This is what I, I posted on Twitter. I said, man, I'm flabbergasted as to how this audio got out. In my history, I know... 100% that most audio leaks are strategic and targeted to make one party look bad. This is unique. Everybody looks bad here. Even people not on the call who leaked this. Tell you guys what I mean. No one has been a part of more obtaining audio and video in this industry than I, except other people that worked at the place that I worked at. You have to listen to it. You have to decipher it and you have to decode it, but not just what's actually on the audio. If you're doing your job in the correct way, you have to decipher the intention of the audio. Not just why the audio or the video is being sold, but for what purpose, right? So if there's a person working at a hotel somewhere and they have static audio, excuse me, static video of something from an elevator, or if they have static video of something from out, just outside of, in the hallway of a hotel, 
you know what their purpose is. Their purpose is money. They know that there's a famous person in this video and they want that famous person, um, they want money for bringing to light or selling what this famous person did. It's very straightforward. It's very straightforward in those cases, right? I got this person doing this with their wife. I got this person doing this. Uh, if we take Jay-Z and Beyonce, we have an elevator video of this, blah, blah, blah. This is probably not being leaked by either side here. There are no sides, right? It's one family. You know, this person just wants to get paid. You can put that up. No frills. Everyone watches the video. They make this decision for themselves. In a situation with audio, you always take into consideration like what the purpose of this audio is, like why somebody would be leaking this. Specifically, specifically, when the audio is of or coming from two people that are involved in either a custody dispute, a divorce, or accusations like that. Because if you don't take that into consideration, no matter what the nature of the accusation is, if you don't think, take that into consideration, what you end up doing, what you can end up doing, is actually taking sides in it or working on behalf of one person's side. Now, that's not to say that places like I used to work don't do that because sometimes you have a relationship with one lawyer you know, depending on who's breaking the story, sometimes you have a better relationship with one celebrity and people are human, they do that. I never did. My thing was that I never looked at something like, yo, I'm not going to put out what you want to put out to make somebody else look bad on your behalf. I'm not in the middle of this on, on either side. My point in saying, saying this was that for me, Darius Jackson, who seemingly obviously put this video out, right? Or put this audio out. It, it seems to have obviously come from this side, right? Nothing about this audio makes him look any better. I mean, we've seen pictures of altercations between him and Kiki Palmer. So I think if he's got somebody in his ear or if somebody's talking to him saying, hey, put audio out like this, it doesn't make him look better at all. Not once did he ever say, you're lying. I never touched your dog. There's not one, one, there's not one time in here that he denies ever having a physical altercation with Kiki, Kiki Palmer. Never. He never did. Not one time did he ever say, hey, this never happened. Hey, this didn't go down. Hi. You're lying about that. Or not, he never said, hey, me and your daughter were in mutual combat. Or any of the things that men say to, to, uh, to make it seem as if they're not guilty of domestic violence. He never did that. So if I'm listening to this, I honestly don't think that this does anything for him. And on the other side, Kiki's mom going on a prolonged homophobic rant, which that's what that basically is, also doesn't make their side look good. So what I was saying is, how does this piece of audio that makes everybody look bad get out? He looks bad in that. 
He does. Because if it was me and I was trying to make it look like I wasn't a domestic abuser, I would post audio where in the moment, or I would leak audio where in the moment, with knowing that nobody is listening, or I guess you're recording it so you, you're anticipating that somebody will be listening, that I say, no, that never happened. That I say, I was never there. I never did that. Or she hit me and I was trying to keep her off me. That's the only reason why. That's what I would do. That's what I would, I would be going directly to the accusations that are being made now because those accusations are material to, number one, whether or not he's going to be able to have uh, contact with his son. Because if it can be proven that he's beating her up, then he's not going to have that. And number two, just for my reputation as a man and not an abuser, I would want people not to think that. This audio doesn't do that because he never really speaks to that. Every time he's accused of something, really, if you listen to the whole audio, he basically goes, uh, where's my son at? Uh, blah, 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 blah. He never really even speaks to the fact that the reason why her mother is so upset with him is because she knows or believes that he's been physically abusive to her daughter. Now, when people are in protective mode, as Kiki's mom is, they say things. That's no excuse for any of the things that she said. Because I don't care what you guys say. A lot of people are saying, hey, she didn't get all homophobic in that. There's no excuse for how she talked about Usher. There's no excuse for the pejoratives that she used against the gay community. There's no excuse for any of that stuff. But the rage that she's showing in the in the audio lends itself to the belief that he did something. She's not like kind of mad. She's beside herself with anger and indignation. She's mad and angry at him. So I just look at this entire thing as I, it, I don't see how something like that sees the light of day unless there are multiple people who don't know what they're doing and don't know, like, what you're supposed to do in a situation like this. I mean, there's nobody who's going to look at that or, or, or listen to that and believe that he's not, that he wasn't abusive to Kiki Palmer. There are pictures of him grabbing her. There's stills of him grabbing her. If Darius Jackson wants to prove that he is not abusing Kiki Palmer, that audio is not the way that you do it. And playing that game like that is certainly not the way that you do it. But God damn it, if this entire situation isn't sad and niggerific as fuck. I feel like the, I feel like that wasn't his goal. Or at least that's what it comes off as. It seems like the goal is more about it's like what aboutism as opposed to making himself look better. It's it's it feels like it's more like I'm accused of doing this. Hey, listen to this, and it's like bringing Kiki's side of the this whole situation down to his level or make himself maybe look better by comparison. So you think that he is not in any way trying to prove? that he didn't hit her, you think he's just trying to prove how crazy they are? Yeah, I think he's trying to prove, like, yo, the situation is crazy. 
and the child is not in any bit better of a situation with his mom than he would be with me. Um, but at the same time, all of this, it feels, it's just messy. It's just mess. And my inner, like, old person doesn't feel comfortable, like, talking about this. Because it feels like none of this stuff should be, it's not for public discourse. But I guess it is when we're talking about an entertainer in a situation where it, it's already out there and we are talking about it. But something about it, it just, it, this whole thing just feels so icky and, like, it's not my business. You know what I mean? Well, I feel like the issue of abuse is certainly for public discourse. Yeah, you're right there. That is a fact. And I think shedding the issue of the this. abuse. Yeah. Um. Look, uh, uh, Ashley, what do you think? Oh, I just think it's definitely. Uh, he's definitely trying to show that they're crazy, quote unquote. I feel like a lot of abusers do that kind of thing where they um, want to show that whoever they have been abusing. um was the crazy one. I did this because of these people around, you know, around me. And I don't know, it definitely doesn't, for, for a sane person, it doesn't show that he is a good person, you know, because we can see right through it. But that's definitely what he was trying to do. And it just makes me feel just really icky to even like hear any of this. I just feel so, it just makes me feel so horrible. Um. As a woman. Yeah. Does it feel like Kiki Palmer was safe with Darius Jackson? Safe? Yeah. Um, no. Absolutely not. I right? absolutely not. It I didn't I from when he was publicly dragging her because he felt personally insecure with what she was wearing in public, even though she is a public fi- figure and public figures, you know, wear uh, sexy things and he decided to put it all out there it, it just gave me a really bad feeling from there and that alone is like oh that doesn't make me feel safe that doesn't make me feel safe for Kiki and now knowing all this it's just like no she was definitely not safe with them it's crazy uh, mm-hmm. look it, you know it. when you listen to the tape this is it almost seems like this is what Twitter was made for, this type of ickiness and messiness and whatever. Um, but there's no way, like no way, no way that you can come away and not feel profoundly sad uh, for the kid that's involved and just for, ev- not I won't say everyone involved because you can't feel sad for anyone that's putting their hands on somebody. But just, it seems like there was so much darkness in the whole situation. Uh, and Kiki is, you know, from what we know of her, she's such an amazing, cool, talented lady. And it just seems like there's been, she, I don't, I wonder from situations like that, if she had a hard pregnancy, if she had a stressful pregnancy, you know, just all kinds of different things, you know, what was going on. And to have somebody hitting on you, man, it's fucked up. But when I heard that audio, the reason why that was my reaction is because the first thing I was thinking is, I know that these leaks are normally like engineered. When I think there was a Johnny Depp tape that that came out, and I can't remember who set the camera up and who was trying to make who look bad, but I remember somebody moving something out of the way of the screen so that it can be seen. And I'm like, okay, this person is trying to catch somebody in a bad moment. All right, 
not saying anything or wading into the Johnny Depp, Amber Heard discourse at all. Not doing that at all. I'm saying you normally can figure it out like why something is seeing the light of day. But Donnie's point is well taken. But with this one, I could not figure out who would want that out. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I could not figure out who would want that out. If I would have been at TMZ, I wouldn't have bought that audio. First of all, he's probably under some, if that was taped in California, that's a, <laughs> California is a two-party state in terms of consent. So if that was taped in California, that guy broke the law. <laughs> so, so you know what I mean? Like you can't even do that. There are other there are other places you can go. There's one party consent, whatever. But in California, it's a two party consent state. You can't tape a phone call like that without the part other party knowing. So I mean, perhaps he was in his home state, or he was in Vegas, or in, in some other one party consent state. I'm not. Sure, how it works if one person is in California, the other person is out of state. I think if anybody's in California, then it's still two party consent. I'm not sure. Maybe they were both out of town at the time. I don't know. But depending on where that was recorded, he might be in legal trouble. These are two people who live in LA. Anyway, all right, that's it. We don't like to do solo topics here. Um, uh, but Rachel had something really important that she had to go do. And to her, uh, to her credit, um, she did send out uh, a text message asking if we could move the podcast up a little bit, and we didn't respond, so we got caught up and we got pressed up against it. Um, she tried to move it so we could do more podcasts, but uh, we didn't respond. So it's not Rachel's fault that she had to run. It's if anything, it's my fault. But it, it, and if it comes down to Donnie, it's probably more Donnie's fault than anybody else. And then Ashley's second, and then me third, and then. Chelsea. So that's the that for you having to listen to me without rage. That's the the thing. It's definitely not rage, but it's Donnie number one, then Ashley, mm-hmm. I, then I would say Chelsea, then I would say me, because <laughs> rage she, she tried to leave the podcast. Something very important she had to do. Uh, but I just wanted to talk about that because people were going to be asking me about it. All right. Three, four. Stop doing drugs. Stop doing drugs. Everybody, stop doing drugs. Stop snorting coke. Stop snorting coke. Everybody, stop snorting coke. Stop shooting up. Stop shooting up. Everybody, stop shooting up. Woo! Stop popping pills. They don't give you thrills. Everybody, stop popping pills. Yo! <laughs>